Do you see career coaching as something that only high performers get? The sort of thing that's only made available to people who are expected to move into senior management positions? Or is career coaching something that can benefit anybody who wants it, no matter what your level of seniority, no matter what your trajectory is in your organisation? If you think career coaching should be made available to everyone and you'd like to find out how you can make that happen, then this is the episode you need to listen to. I'm Jeremy Klein and this is Change Work Life. And welcome to Change Work Life, where we're all about beating the Sunday evening blues and enjoying Mondays again. Regular listeners will know I'm a big fan of coaching in general, and especially when it comes to your career. I've been coached myself, and it's been an incredibly valuable experience, which I might talk about more on the podcast in the future. Now, you might think of being coached as something you do in your own time outside of your place of work. But what if coaching was offered at work and the coaches were your colleagues? In fact, what if your workplace wanted you to train to be a coach yourself? That's exactly what my guest this week has done. Philippa Kinden works in business development for a healthcare software company, and she is also a coach within her organisation. Philippa also holds a PhD in identity in the workplace. Philippa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Jeremy. So, Philippa, can you start by telling us a bit more about the organisation you work for and this dual role you have in both business development and as an internal coach? Will do. Thanks very much. Um, So, as you say, we're a health tech company. We're based in um, the southwest in Bath. Uh, We've got about 100 employees now. Um, I think it might have just tipped over um, through uh, recent recruitment. Um, and the company itself has actually been running for about 20, 21 years. Um, and I've worked for them for, uh, nearly five years. Um, it's an owner managed business. Um, so the founding director is still very much involved, um, in the day to day. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's a super, super organization. Very proud to work for it. And what's your role? What's, um, what does business development mean for you? The role I undertake, um, as you say, it's in a business development capacity. Um, It um, involves, um, I'm very lucky to get involved in lots of different um, aspects of that. Um, But most recently in uh, what we call market discovery. So we've identified that actually it's time for us to diversify and grow into new markets, both at home and abroad. So the role I've most recently been fulfilling is in identifying what some of those um, potential opportunities could be. Um, And then previously to that, um, and and that sort of, you know, um, part of my role that's um, ongoing, um, we call it program management. um, And it can basically be any any particular area of the business that, um, you know, needs some project support um, that's varied over the years. Um, both internal and external um, sort of facing um, opportunities there um, that I've fulfilled in the business. Cool. Well, certainly sounds like it gets you busy. Um, So the internal coaching programme, I mean, how long has that been a feature in your company? That's a a really good question. So it's when I first joined uh, first joined the company um, nearly five years ago, they were just beginning to roll it out across the whole business, but it had actually been ongoing um, among the software developers. 
Um, so our organization had um, adopted a, a particular um, framework called Agile and um, within that the Scrum methodology, um, which I can go into a little bit more um, um, if helpful. Um, but essentially the, the software developers had been um, rolling out a coaching program um, probably about um, set for about seven or eight years from now. Um, and then, as I say, about five years ago, the organization realized that it had been going so well within the software development teams um, that they decided it would be a good idea to uh, roll that out to the whole business. And it came hand in hand with um, rolling out um, self-managing teams to the rest of the business as well. Um, because what they essentially realized is that whilst um, people are very, um, you know, can be very enthusiastic about self-managing um, and flatter structure, which, you know, again, I can speak a bit more in a bit more detail about. Um, there are certain things that start to, uh, that can be missing if you don't have that traditional sort of hierarchy and line manager. Some of the roles and functions that the line manager plays can be quite coaching um, and quite coaching-like. And so they, um, yeah, decided it was time to have a more formal coaching program within the organisation. So the um, Agile Scrum, which I've kind of heard of, but don't really know what it's about, is, is that kind of similar to this idea of a, a flat structure? Is it related or am I kind of off the wrong tangent there? No, it is related. Um, it, it is about teams um, being autonomous and accountable to one another and to committing to the work that they're doing um, in such a way that you take on the work that you know you can fulfill and achieve in a given time frame. And uh, in our organisation, that given time frame is two weeks um, and they're called sprints. And so the, the autonomous scrum team essentially commit to the work they're going to do in a given two week period. And then that's, you know, that that's their commitment to one another and to the organization. So it does go very much hand in hand with self-managing teams. Um, the, the agile and scrum is a huge, um, a huge area of um, sort of um, project management. It's, it's an incredible alternative to um, things like waterfall project management. You know, I certainly wouldn't, um, say I'm an expert in it in any shape or form but yeah if it's something you want to know a bit more about I can definitely put you in touch with uh, some people who can talk with you at great length about uh, yeah some of the pros and cons of working in an agile way. So the the flat structure more generally in your organisation so what did it look like before what does it look like now and what was the motivation for the change? Oh right okay it's grown, so the organization's grown quite typically um, for a, a small business over several years, um, quite organic growth. Um, and when the organization reached about sort of 20 to 30 employees, um, the, the, um, the traditional route started to be followed in terms of um, implementing middle managers. So it always been run. It you know it started literally as a, a sort of a three person organization, and it it grown very slowly, very organically, and had a great sort of family feel to it. Um, and then as it as it got bigger, that um, sort of push for adding bureaucracy, 
adding lines of management, adding sort of command and control. It was, it, you know, that, that push was there. Um, but the, the founding director who has some really interesting sort of values, um, and an ethos and, and a desire to run businesses in a different way, um, was feeling increasingly uncomfortable about this, um, sort of, um, implementation of, of middle managers. Um, and what they were also finding was that the software development teams who had implemented the agile and the scrum methodology were, were absolutely flying. You know, they, they were, they were really enjoying their work. They'd made some great improvements over releasing their um, work to the end customer. Um, and through a, a very interesting conversation between the founding director and one of the other directors at the time, um, they, they realized that they had quite a lot in common about wanting to run a business in a different way, really not wanting to go down that traditional hierarchical sort of pyramid hierarchical route. Um, and, um, one of the key, um, books or, you know, motivations for, um, for their way of thinking, um, is a book called Maverick. Um, now, this book called Maverick, it's by a chap called Ricardo Semler, and it has been around for years. And one of our directors had been to a talk by Ricardo Semler when she was a management trainee in the NHS. Um, and essentially, this book um, is about uh, an organization's journey into self-managing. Um, and she thought to herself, this, you know, at the time, this is absolutely incredible. What an inspiring, you know, it can, things can be done in a different way. But as she says, over time, it sort of became one of those talks that she went to as a, as a, as a graduate management trainee, and it had been forgotten. And then this conversation with our founding director sort of awakened all of that in her again, um, as they realized that actually they had a great opportunity to not go down the traditional route of implementing line managers and middle managers and a, and a, a pyramid structure. Um, and that, you know, this was their opportunity to make some, some changes. Um, and, and so I think a lot of it stemmed from that sort of, you know, meeting of, of minds of the two directors there and, and just that desire to, to do things in a different, in a different way. So what are the advantages or at least what were the perceived advantages of adopting this type of structure rather than the traditional hierarchical yeah. command and control structure? Yeah. Okay. So, so certainly they'd already seen quite a lot of the advantages among the software developers. So they'd seen more commitment to their work, more commitment to teamwork. Um, they were certainly getting better results in terms of releasing. Um, so with software development, they release their updates um, to the customer and, and to the software. And they were getting a much faster turnaround, much less errors, much greater customer satisfaction. So the advantages of, of these, this flatter structure, self-managing teams was being very well realized among the software developers. And they thought a similar thing would happen when they rolled it out to the rest of the business. Um, and this was a bit of a, a tricky time and a bit of a surprising time for the company. It was actually at, at this point that I, that I joined the organization is when they did roll it out, it, um, it had a lot of struggles. Um, the, and, and you talked about, well, what are the, some, some of the disadvantages, um, of, of working this way? Um, what um, what they found is that actually employee satisfaction started to take a dip 
Um, and the, the, the rest of the company who were not software developers um, weren't realizing the same kind of benefits. They, you know, there wasn't that autonomy. There wasn't in, an increase in job satisfaction. Um, and the, the, um, as it was at the time, they still had an exec team at the time who, um, sort of took a look at the, um, uh, cust- uh employee satisfaction results. Um, and, and they weren't satisfied with what they saw. You know, they started to see a dip in those results and they wanted to challenge themselves. And they felt, you know, they knew it was perhaps connected to this rollout of self, self-managing teams. Um, but they really wanted to try and figure out why. Um, so the, um, each year the company does a staff day. And what they've done beforehand is they've done some workshops, um, looking at the values of the company. And they've gone out to all the teams and said, you know, how, um, how does the company live well by its values? How does the company not live well by its values? And what they did, um, as this staff day is they actually looked at all of the answers. Um, to how are we not living well by our values and really started to connect, connect that with this dip in staff satisfaction, um, started to pinpoint some of the areas that were not working so well due to this, um, perhaps rollout of self-managing teams that hadn't been done with the full buy-in of the organization. So whereas the software developers, it had very much come from them internally driving it, but the rest of the company, it was just a bit like, where's this coming from and, uh, and how do we make it work? Um, what we actually identified, um, and we did this, I have to say, as a whole company. So not just the exec team, the whole company is, uh, uh, as one of our staff days, and there was about 60 of us at the time, looked at all these results, all of this data, and came up with 12 different um, themes, 12 different areas that the business needed to work on to, to make this new way of working um, effective. Um, a couple of the ones that I remember at the time um, was around deci- decision-making, for example. You know, if you don't have a line manager... How do you decide, you know, what gets done or who makes the decision or what if there's something quite tricky that we're trying to figure out here? You know, if you don't have that line manager, basically, who gets to make the decisions? Wow, there is so much in there. So presumably one of these 12 things that needed to change led to the idea that you needed some kind of coaching. Can can you talk a little bit about what the thought process was and what, what, what was identified as missing that coaching was expected to solve. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, exactly as you say, there was some, um, some great things about more traditional um, organisations that did feel a bit missing. So when, um, obviously, in our, or for all of us in our careers, sometimes we reach crossroads we reach um, points of progression or you know things that are a bit tricky now what we do um, in our organization is we encourage those conversations to be had with your team um, and you know generally nine times out of ten with a high trust team those conversations can be had but sometimes there are things that are very personal um, that might be slightly trickier um, that people really want to have the space and the time and the headspace to um, talk through with uh, with somebody else. And what we found 
Um, the reason that we turn to coaching for that specific um, area is there are certain um, tools and um, principles around coaching that make it quite unique um, and let's say quite different from something like mentoring or consultancy or therapy or line managing. Um, and we felt that coaching really gave um, individuals that needed that time in that headspace the opportunity to explore some of those more difficult questions. Um, and also, um, self-managing does require a really good degree of self-awareness. Um, it asks a lot um, of, of the employees in the organisation. Um, and, you know, to for... To ask people to dig deep um, in, in an organizational context, they have to, you know, be very well in touch with, with themselves and how they operate and have a really good sort of degree of self-reflection. Um, and coaching, again, gives those opportunities for people to, to explore sort of how they operate and, uh, you know, in a very safe and confidential space. It's really interesting how you said that coaching can be different to lots of other things like mentoring, therapy, and line management. I mean, it sounds like this is something which could have a place not just in an organisation which has a flat structure, as you describe, but any organisation, even one with a sort of traditional hierarchical structure where you do have line managers. Yeah, absolutely. I think it can sit alongside in a more traditional organization. In fact, one of the, um, one of the bodies that we have, um, been along to conferences, um, uh, to kind of help ourselves, um, improve in our coaching practice, um, is a federation called the International Coaching Federation. Um, and they run conferences. Um, and, uh, what we've noticed, uh, whilst we've been going to the conferences, which has been about four years now, is they now even have, um, a track for in, or, you know, talks specifically for internal coaches. Because what we're finding is this role of the internal coach is becoming a much better recognized role. And it does have some very specific um, challenges and opportunities that are different to being a coach that perhaps comes from outside of the organisation. So, yeah, it can definitely run in, in more traditional companies as well. Talk a little bit more about that distinction between internal and external and why your company went the way of having internal coaches, so employees within the organisation, rather than getting or arranging access to external coaches so that employees could have these difficult conversations and these you know these difficult thought processes as about understanding yourself yeah sure probably we're saying it um it is so we have both internal coaches and access to external coaches it's not sort of a completely either or, um, but our model definitely is around building our internal coach capacity. So there's a few reasons for that. Um, one being, if you're going to make coaching available to everybody in the organisation, um, and, and we do say it is available to anybody who wants it, it's not mandated, you don't have to have it, but if you put your hand up and say you'd like a coach then, you know, the answer is yes, and we'll make that happen. Um, what you find in most, still probably most, but many organisations, is that coaching is reserved 
for the um the top performers shall we say the people who have been identified as the ones that will succeed get to the top of the organization um and actually we that that um that's not in keeping with our ethos and our values of you know everybody matters everybody counts everybody brings value everybody deserves to, to kind of achieve their full potential um and if you if you have been lucky enough to benefit from coaching which Jeremy I know you have you know how um powerful it can be about unlocking potential um about overcoming limiting beliefs you know we just believe that that should be available to everybody in the organization now it is true to say that external coaching can be um quite expensive and perhaps that's why it has generally been limited to those um top performers shall we say for want of a better word but you can make it a lot more accessible and a lot more affordable even for an SME like we are small medium sized um enterprise if you know if you can provide that as an internal resource now we have put all of our internal coaches through training so every you can't just you know turn up to work one day and say i'm going to be a coach now you do have to have um the the basic training that's um delivered by a certified coach so somebody that um has been certified by the body i mentioned the icf so we know that they're trained to the uh, the proper standards that would be recognized and then they've been uh, running uh, a one or two day introductory um course for anybody that wants to be a coach in our organization but then you don't have to be you can go through the training and then decide that it's not right for you and that's absolutely fine it's not right for everybody not everybody wants to be a coach um and then what we also do is we offer refresher training and most recently and really excitingly we have now just started um to really push ourselves to the next level in our coaching and we have formalized the program we've got a series of um uh, 15 modules that we're uh, rolling out to the coaches over over the next um 6 months um in 2 hour bite sized chunks so we're really embracing this uh, this coaching uh internal coaching model um but what i would also say is the other reason we we're very keen to keep it in house um largely in house as i say not to say you can't access an external coach if you feel that, that is something that that is desperately needed or wanted is about having a coaching culture so everybody in the organization whether they are a, a formally trained coach or not has had um training on coaching styles coaching questions because actually we all have an opportunity to coach one another in the day to day and uh, and we you know we're sort of building up that coaching culture as well as the coaching program so this this coaching culture training this is something which every member of staff gets fantastic when it came to introducing this internal coaching program and presumably there was a call out for anyone who's interested in being a coach you know, sign up here what was the take up like i mean was it you know reluctance was it a few people or did everyone go yep sign me up um it was probably somewhere in the middle there was a good number now the the day that i did i think there were about 12 of us Um, and at the time, as I say, we we're about sixty employees, and there were already a handful of coaches in the business at that point. Um, we are now up to, I think, maybe about twenty trained coaches for an organisation of a hundred. Um, and 
everybody that signs up to be trained as a coach signs up very enthusiastically. It isn't something you can do reluctantly. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. What was your motivation for signing up? Um, oh, that's a good question. It just, okay, I guess it just spoke to me. In some ways, it just spoke to me. Um, what I realise now in um, hindsight, and, and people tell me as well, is I've got um, generally a natural coaching style. Um, I've, um, before starting work where I am now, I've worked for several different, um, organizations, uh, on this, mostly on the smaller side. I have worked in some, some larger corporates. Um, but what I have always felt quite uncomfortable with is the idea of telling other people what to do. I genuinely believe that we all have our own answers. Um, obviously when it comes to like, you know, professional training, um, of course, you need to, you know, do the right programs and courses and, and get trained up in your profession. But when it comes to making decisions about yourself and for yourself, um, you know, that that's time to to look inwards. And and uh yeah, I just I just felt that this was a great opportunity to explore something that had probably always been an interest to me, but had never been sort of formally presented as a as a as an opportunity. So I, I just jumped at the chance. Did you have any expectations when you first signed up? And if you did, how were those expectations met or not? What came as a surprise? Um, I suppose I did. I'd been very lucky to have had some coaching from off the back of a course that I'd done with a previous employer. Um, so it's been a sort of a personal development course that I'd done over over several um, weeks. And then you could sign up to get the support of a coach after the course. And it absolutely, it blew me away to be asked such challenging questions in such a helpful way and to feel that that person sat over the other side of the table to you uh, was completely on your side and wanted the very best for you, but wasn't just going to agree with you. Oh, yes, that must have been very hard. Or, of course, you were right in that circumstance. They are going to challenge you, but for all the right reasons. Um, and I guess what I, yes, in terms of expectations of being trained as a coach, I wanted to get under the skin of how, how, do, how do you do that? What are the tools? What are the techniques? Um, you know, what, you know, what is it? that enables somebody to have that presence. Um, in, in coaching, we talk about having a coaching presence. Um, and and you, know, you know it when you're, when you're with a good coach. Um, it's, it's a very um, kind of um, particular connection that, that can start to flow between, uh, between coach and coaching if it's working well. So what does the internal coaching role look like and how does it interact with if you like the, the day job yeah oh, great question uh so once you've been through your training as a an internal coach um and you've said yes this is um this is something i'd like to do for the business um you're essentially added to a bank of um of coaches um your profile then sits on our intranet um, and you, um, you write a little bio about, you know, who you are and what your motivation for coaching is. And, you know, if you've got any particular areas that you feel you can be, um, helpful to people. And then employees 
will say, put their hand up and say, yes, I'd like to access the services of a coach. We have a program manager for the coaching program. Um, and she, uh, she sort of administers all of that process. So as an employee, you would say, I'd like the, to you, um, have the services of a coach. You pick three that you would be happy to work with. And then there's a, a bit of a matchmaking process um, in terms of judging who's got capacity um, of, of the people that you'd like to work with. Um, and then, then you get underway. So we have a coach, uh, very importantly, you have a coaching commitment, a coaching contract between the coach and the coachee that outlines, you know, the, the basic rules of engagement in terms of confidentiality, the broad area that you're going to work on, um, probably some time limit. Um, you know, people sometimes come with a very specific issue that they want to address. Um, and you might say, right, you know, this is a month or, you know, this is a couple of months. Where for others, it's more of a an ongoing longer term relationship that can last, you know, maybe even a year or two years. Um, but yeah, importantly, it starts with that coaching commitment and the contract between coach and coachee. So you both know sort of what you're signing up for. And how, when you as coach have this role, do you manage it alongside the, your other commitments to the business? Yeah. So two things. One is obviously being a self-managing organisation, it is up to you to manage your time. You and being working to sprints and in your teams, as we mentioned at the beginning of the, of the, uh, the, the interview, you, know, you commit to the work for your team in your sprint. Now, if you know that you've got two or three coaches and, you know, at least one of them is going to be, you know, featuring in your in your um, two weekly calendar, then you would say to your, in my case, the business development team or the market discovery team, um, I know I've definitely got two hours that I have to commit to coaching in this sprint. So you take that time and that is for your coachee and you say to your team, you know, this, you know, this is my capacity for, for these two weeks. So it's up to you as the individual to manage your balance of the day job and the coaching commitment. Um, and what we also have is um, completely transparent diaries. So everybody in the organization can see everybody else's calendar. You can uh, request a meeting with anybody else and it, you know, populates as a, as a request. So, um, my coaches can look into my diary and see, you know, where there's a space. Um, and for some people, they like to just have a regular slot every month or every other week. Um, and, and we just, you know, easily stick to that. And other people prefer to be on a bit of an ad hoc basis. So it's a combination of sort of that self-managing, working in sprints and completely, you know, transparent diaries. And that's how we manage it. Does that self-managing apply also to the coaches in the sense that the business does expect that people will do coaching and they will do it during working hours? So that you know it's not something that you're expected to do. Oh, we need you've got to do it before work or after work or over lunchtime. No, it is on company time. So the the the, the company allows for that time. Um, it's I think it's important because it is company sanctioned. It's company supported. 
Um, you know, sometimes people will choose to do it over their lunchtime. Um, you know, they may choose to go out to a local cafe and, and get away from the office environment. Um, but yeah, no, there's no expectation that it's done outside of work. Um, and I think what, what is interesting is when you give people the, um, the responsibility and autonomy over their own work and their own progression, they, they use it wisely. You know, you don't find people taking the mick and, you know, oh, we're just going to go and take a three hour lunch break and have a nice chat. There is an expectation that the coaching itself will deliver value that, and we, you know, we'll, um, regularly survey the coachees, um, to make sure that the, the acts, having access to coaching is making a difference. Um, uh, and, and we consistently find that it is. On that, talk a bit more about what the results have been as a result of this internal coaching programme. Yeah. So um, one of the biggest um, areas that we've seen and people say things have improved in is um, confidence. Um, it's, it has been absolutely amazing to see um, uh, people kind of, yeah, when, when they're asked, what, where has coaching made the biggest impact for you? Um, many people will cite um, improved confidence as being an outcome, which is just uh, amazing. As a as a coach, that is probably one of the the most exciting things to to think that you might actually be helping somebody to feel more confident at work, to feel better at work, to feel happier at work. Um, so yeah, that's 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 been a clear outcome from the coaching. And how does the business measure the success of the coaching program? So this is, um, we literally this autumn, we're actually having a big, um, look at that. One of the, and it's, you know, it's not just us that finds it tricky. The, we, you know, we've, we've spoken to our colleagues at the ICF about this and, and sort of delved into resources because of the confidentiality of coaching. It is really tricky to, uh, both the confidentiality and the personal, um, individual nature of it you know everybody brings something slight a different challenge um to to coaching or they want to get something slightly different out of it and it is hard to quantify really hard to quantify um but um uh, my colleague michelle that's uh, sort of running the coaching program at the moment really leading on that um she is making that her absolute sort of um, driving force over this autumn season is to figure out how can we show um, the value of this coaching um, because we know it we know it from the survey results that we get we know it from anecdotally what people say to us but we feel it's actually time to really try and quantify that. So does the business have a particular motivation for finding out this value? I mean is this something which could lead it to stopping the internal coaching or is it kind of a it's going to carry on anyway, but it would like to have some harder evidence of the value. Can you talk a bit more about that? I think it's, it is much more likely the second thing that you've just said there. Um, we're now up to over 50% of staff um, have opted to be coached. Um, and the, you know, the, the survey, the anecdotal evidence is overwhelmingly positive. So I can't imagine that the outcome would be, um, you know, we're going to stop the, the coaching program. And in fact, the opposite decision has been made. The company's set aside 
um, you know, for a company of our size, a reasonably substantial um, budget to, to invest in the coaching. As I mentioned, there's some traits some formal training um, to, to top up our basic training. Um, we, you know, pay to attend the, the conferences um, to make sure that we keep our sort of coaching professional development up. So we don't think it's it's ever likely to to not happen. I think it's more about what how do we need to progress it from here? There are very specific challenges around being an internal coach. You know, we've already mentioned a couple of them like managing time, managing confidentiality. You know, you can just imagine, you know, in one um, session, you're coaching somebody who is bringing their, you know, sometimes quite personal and, and, uh, and uh, potentially sensitive um, discussion points to a coaching session. Um, and the next day you're in a, you know, a team meeting with them where you're discussing sales results. Um, so, you know, you, you, you do have to be really clear about, you know, which hat you're wearing and, you know, and always keeping that vault. You know, we talk about sort of coaching being in a vault. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think it's about recognising how do we get the most value from the coaching so that it continues to, to make the difference that we need it to in the organisation. This leads very nicely onto my next question, which is if there's someone listening to this who thinks, oh my goodness, this sounds amazing. I would love to have this at my place of work. How can that person start the ball rolling? Who do they speak to? And how do they persuade the right people that there is merit in this and that it's, I mean, it's going to have a cost attached to it, but that it's a cost worth bearing? I guess, well, first of all, I would be more than happy to have a chat, you know, with anybody that's interested in finding out a bit more about sort of how, you know, how you can start those conversations. But I think it comes from, you know, very often an organisation will have at least some form of an HR function, some kind of HR department, human resources department, people and culture department, um, or, you know, somebody in the business that looks after the people. Um, So my advice would be start with them. Coaching isn't new in terms of people management. Um, I guess what will be important is if if you want to make a start on this and do it in a different way, do it in a way that you recognise that coaching can be of value to anybody in the organisation. Um, you know, so, yeah, it, it is about starting with HR. You do need the support of decision makers, of budget holders. You know, I, I accept you know, most organisations are not flat. Um, they're not self-managing. Um, there will be sort of management structures and, and hierarchies to um, to navigate. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no doubt. And there's plenty of case studies available online to show, you know, what, what value coaching can bring. But generally start with the sort of the people management side of the business and, uh, and, and speak to them about it. I think the case studies are probably going to be very, very important here because so many organizations just have this, as you described, oh, coaching is just for the high flyers. It's for the people who expect to be promoted and to the executive team and you're quite right that that does suggest that everyone else's career everyone else's you know worth to the company is maybe not quite as much so 
it's it's get overcoming that hurdle it's persuading the business look yeah there's going to be merit in coaching the high flyers but you are going to see results if you coach everyone that's got that's got to be the bit you've got to present it's it's showing that that it has positive results and that it is you know a return on investment yeah yeah very much so i mean on, on that i know that your kind of experience of this is largely limited to where you are but uh, i mean are there any particular types of organizations where an internal coaching model is particularly valuable and i suppose the counter to that is are there any types of organization which it's maybe not so useful or it doesn't lend itself so much to having an internal coaching uh, system so having having experienced the value of coaching both as a coachee and as a coach, I find it hard to imagine there being any scenario or any workplace setting that wouldn't benefit from having access to coaching. Um, I think being able to have an internal coaching program, there does need to be perhaps um, very clear ground rules. You know, at the end of the day, the, the employer is paying for that time. You know, the employer is paying for the coach's time, the coachee's time. There are, you've got to recognize there are three parties in that relationship. The employer is expecting, you know, whether it be improved performance or better team working, you know, there, there, there is an expectation, like you say, that there should be some return on investment. But for a coaching session to work, it, the content of it must be confidential. That coaching must feel complete trust in the coach of that vault of that, you know, what we discuss in this session doesn't then get, you know, taken to the, the, the line manager or the boss, you know, wh- whatever your, your particular setup is. Um, so I think there's something about culture in there and high trust, um, you know, as long as the ground rules are there, I imagine internal coaching could work in and could be valuable in, in all organisational settings. Leaving aside whether someone might be able to persuade their organisation to have an internal coaching practice or, or whatever it might be, if someone has listened to you and think and thinks, wow, that sounds brilliant, I'd love to get involved, where can someone start to find out whether coaching might be right for them? Okay. As I mentioned um, before, one of the key resources that we've tapped into is um, the ICF, the International Coaching Federation. So, I mean, that is a huge organisation. It's worldwide. If you reach out for uh, coaching resources, training courses, case studies, conferences, um, if you go to that kind of as a starting point, you know that you're going to get, you know, credible, professional um, support and access to, to the resources that you might need. But what we have also found is some great local resources. So, for example, in, in our area, there's a, um, in Bath, there's a, something called the Future Talent Programme. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a voluntary organisation, I think, with charitable status. Um, and, they um, they essentially um, invite local organisations to um, nominate um, uh, delegates to attend. I think it's something like a three month programme um, and they get access to coaches through that. 
so that again there's a, a bank of local coaches that you know that are a great resource um there's there's groups on linkedin um so there's what well, i think once you just get started on that you find you know that there's some amazing resources that you can tap into that that can really help you on a coaching journey brilliant and if anyone does want to get in touch with you how how can they do that yeah um so it, I'd love to hear from from anybody that's got more questions about this and wants to hear about um, our experience um, in the organisation I work for. Um, so I am e- emailable. Can I give you an email address? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll put a link yeah, in the brilliant. show notes. Super. Um, so it's philippa.kinden at maiden.co.uk. And we're really happy to speak to anybody that's got questions about coaching, that's got uh, specifically internal coaching programs, um, has got questions about self-managing, um, have got questions about Agile and Scrum. Um, you know, these are things that we've been running for, um, you know, close to a, a decade, certainly the Agile um, side of the business now. Um, and we find actually we're really happy to share our journey. We call it warts and all um, because we find it really frustrating when you're looking for resources um, and things are sanitized and you get, you know, this is how this is the answer to everything. That is never the case. There are always pros and cons in whatever routes you choose. And we've made mistakes along the way. Um, but we're really happy to share share with anybody that's got a genuine interest um, in 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 sharing our wisdom and learning from others as well. So just really welcome those conversations. Brilliant. And, and Maiden, that's M-A-Y-D-E-N. Is that right? So it is. Yes. Philippa.kinden at uh, maiden.co.uk. Cool. As I say, I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, well, Philippa, thank you so much for this conversation. Um, absolutely fascinating. I hope it's inspired some people to um, take this forward. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely to speak to you again. Thanks, Jeremy. Okay. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Philippa Kinden. It won't surprise you to hear that I am massively in favour of what Philippa's company Maiden is doing for their employees in terms of making coaching available to everyone. It's not to say that people should be forced to get career coaching, but having it available for those who want it, that really sends out a signal that every employee matters, not just the senior people or those who are on the fast track to leadership. And as Philippa and I discussed, I don't think this is something which you could only have in the context of a company with a flat structure that doesn't have a a line management system in place. I thought it was really telling how Philippa described that over 50% of staff at Maiden have opted to receive coaching. It's clearly something which people value, and I just can't see how it won't make a positive difference, even if that's something that might be tricky to measure. So if this is something which sounds like it might be a good fit for your company, I hope you've been inspired to start talking to the right people, maybe to think about implementing it. As usual, there's full show notes at changewithlife.com forward slash 119. That's changewithlife.com forward slash 119. And this is one of those episodes I'd really love you to share. I mean, I'd like you to share all the episodes, but this one in particular, if you've got any friends that work in HR or learning and development, then why not send them a link to this episode, see what they think. There's another great interview coming up next week, so subscribe to the show if you haven't already, and I can't wait to see you in next week's episode. Cheers. Bye.